This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. It's nice to see you all here. Uh, so I want to welcome you to the seminar. The title is very long, so I don't memorize it. It's called The Calling, Living, and Knowing God's Will for Me. So by way of introduction, my name is Josephine Elia, and I will be pre- co-presenting this seminar track with Adam Ramdin. Uh, he's sitting over there in the back. You also saw him at the Divine Worship today. Uh, so yes, yeah, so we'll continue on basically six sessions on principles of discovering God's will for our lives. We try to make it practical, uh, as well as extracting biblical principles that we can, that we can apply on a day-to-day basis. Um, if you see the, um, the titles on your, on your program, so I'll begin with the first seminar, obviously, uh, and then uh, Adam will be presenting the second seminar tomorrow, and I have the third one, and then the last three, which is on Monday, um, the fourth and fifth uh, will be Adam's, and the last one will be mine. So that should help you a little bit to navigate. But, uh, yeah, as people coming in, try to come up to the front a little bit more so that it's not too big, because I'm not very tall. <laughs> so maybe it's a little bit hard if you are sitting way back in the, uh, in the end. All right. So before we start, um, let's... Was there someone? Yeah. Uh, let's bow our heads uh, to begin the session with, with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come to this session, we come to UIC uh, and at this hour because we are deeply interested, Father, to know your will for our lives and what it means to follow it. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come down and dwell uh, amongst us at this hour and be our teacher also. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Okay. So one thing that we want to focus in the seminar track uh, is... Obviously, we want to know God's will, but um, I had put this, for example, in this slide, discerning God's will, uh, to make an emphasis that knowing God's will is not an intellectual exercise. It's not just knowing information. Uh, it's your, your whole life needs to be consecrated to God. It's our entire being. We want to know God's will, but not just knowing in our head, but to know it in our hearts and to follow it. And so this first seminar, we're going to address this head on, basically. And to start, uh, let's immediately open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 22. We'll look at a story here, a fascinating one in the Old Testament, to begin our topic today. And the title of our presentation is called The Prerequisite. If you're taking classes at college or university, there are certain courses that you need to take prerequisites on. Um, these are, this is basically the important foundation before we embark on the journey to know God's will. So open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 22, and I encourage you to follow along the story because it is hilarious, to say the least. Uh, I was going to pick up a few passages here and there, but I think uh, the whole story is just so funny. So can't resist, right? Uh, we'll begin reading... Um, essentially, from, yeah, we'll just read from verse 1. Numbers chapter 22. The Bible says, I'm reading from the King James Version. 
And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side, Jordan, by Jericho. So they're close to Canaan, uh, right at this moment, they're around Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was so afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto, the, uh, said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. So the introduction, the setting of the story, the children of Israel are close to Canaan, close to the promised land. And this guy named Balak uh, was the king of Moab at the time. He was afraid because he saw what the Israelites had done to the Amorites. He felt threatened. So what did he do? Verse 5. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, unto Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land, for I wot that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou cursed is cursed. Balak sent messengers to Balaam uh, to ask a specific request for Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Continuing in verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. So they, they came to Balaam's house. They came with rewards of divination. That, that means fees, you know, um, rewards, uh, money, or whatever it is, the currency at the time, bringing with them, uh, as well as the message from Balak. Verse 8, this is, um, this is Balaam speaking. He has, he has his guests in his house. In verse 8, he said, He said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. Now, we want to pause here, right? Who is Balaam? Balaam is a prophet. Was he an Israelite, or was he a Moabite, or was he an Amorite? What, what was he? He's a prophet for, for Israel, right? So he was, he was a prophet of Israel. The Israelites was his people. Balak sent messengers. Uh, and in verse 8, the first thing that he did in this type of situation is that he said, tarry with me tonight, right? Uh, now, the interesting part is what God said to him next. So we see more people coming in. Please uh, have a seat. Uh, if, you have, if you find a seat empty uh, towards the front, please take that. And uh, we are reading Numbers 22. So reading, continuing in verse 9. God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covers the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Preventure, I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. So think about the situation, right? Uh, so Balaam has guests who is asking, uh, asking him to curse his own people. Now he is going to God, asking God, um, I don't know what he was going to ask, 
but he's basically asking God to curse his own people, right? The Israelites with God people, God's people. Um, in verse 9, uh, can't help but notice, you know, God's... I don't know what the word is, but it's really funny because God obviously knew who the guests were, right? And God is saying, who are these men with you? Who, who are these that you're hosting? Um, as, if, as if he did, didn't know. And Balaam basically responded to God, I mean, I didn't do anything wrong, right? In verse 10 and 11, these people just came to me. You know, it's, it's Balak, the, uh, Balak, the son of uh, the king of Moab, they came to me and they're asking me these things. Now notice that uh, Balaam didn't ask God what he should do. Verse 11, uh, no, verse 12, because we read verse 11. Verse 12, God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Before Balaam even asked God what he should do, um, God straight up told him, you're not doing anything with them, right? Why? Because it's kind of obvious, right? I mean, this was God's people, um, and Balaam was speaking with God himself, and Balaam already knew. Um, he, didn't, he didn't ask God directly. He kind of already knew. But to, to kind of skirt around the issue, he's just telling God, Lord, I'm just telling you what happened. I didn't really ask you for anything. Um, I'm, just, I'm just telling you what happened. I didn't do anything wrong. And God, you know, was straight with him. You're not going with them. Verse 13. Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princess of Balak, get you, uh, get you into your land, for the Lord refused to give me leave to go with you. Like, my daddy didn't let me go out and play with you. Right? It's that kind of argument. Um, Balaam already knew, but um, he's saying, you know, God didn't let me go with you, um, implying perhaps if he had, he would go with them, which actually further on, we see that he actually went with them, right? So let's, read, let's continue on reading. Verse 14. The princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak, and said, Balaam refused to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore, I pray you, Tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. So what's going on here? In verse 14 and 15, the messengers went back to the king of Moab, right? Uh, Balaam said, God didn't let me go with you. The messengers went back to the king. And now the king sent more honorable messengers, more rewards with him to go to Balaam. There's a verse in uh, Exodus 23, 23.8. Uh, it says, And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Another one also in Deuteronomy, it says, You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. And keep that in mind. We'll be talking about blindness further on. So the messengers came back to Balaam. 
And Balaam, in uh, verse 18, said, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. But what did he do in verse 19? He said, come stay with me again. Because I am going to go back to God and I'll find out what more will he say unto me. Um, has, Balaam already knows what God had said before, right? Uh, Balaam already knows what God's will for his, for his situation in this, in this, uh, at this time. Um, but in verse 19, he was just curious. You know, somehow he entertains the idea that God would change his mind regarding this situation, even though God hasn't indicated anything, uh, anything other than forbidding him to go with, uh, with these people. And this bribe, you know, blinds his eyes, and he's, he's entertaining ideas that uh, he wasn't supposed to. Verse 20, God saying to Balaam now, And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. In verse 21, what happened? Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. What is going on here? God had revealed to him back in verse 12. You're not going with them. Uh, The people are blessed. You cannot curse them. Um, even in that situation, in that first situation, God, you know, Balaam already knew what was, what was going on, supposedly. Um, and in this second time, God is like testing him. If you go, you cannot go beyond, beyond my word. And at that slightest indication that God would permit him to do what he wanted, what did he do in verse 21? He immediately rose up and saddled his donkey, and went. And that reveals the, the state of his heart, right? What he really wanted to do was to go with the people. And at the slightest indication, he went. The, uh, the fact that God's will hasn't changed for him is revealed in the next verse. Keep reading in verse 22. Numbers 22, chapter, uh, chapter 22, verse 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went. So here, again, we see a clear indication from God of what his will is for Balaam at this time. God was angry that Balaam went, and he went so excitedly. You know, he went with enthusiasm. He rose up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with them. God's anger was kindled because he went, and it says, The angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Because he was going against God's will, the angel of the Lord stood, stood as an enemy for him. Now he was riding upon his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Verse 23, And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the donkey to turn her into the way. 24, But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself unto the wall, crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. 26. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. There was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. 27. 
When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down unto Balaam, under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the donkey with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto you, you that you have smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the donkey, Because you have mocked me, I would, I would there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. And the donkey said unto Balaam, Am I not your donkey, upon which you have written ever since I was yours unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Balaam was on his way to go against Goswell. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn in his hand. Notice that repeatedly it says that the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. Um, he saw the angel of the Lord two or three times before Balaam himself saw the angel of the Lord. There's, there's a verse in... Uh, sorry. Notice that uh, in verse... Um, in verse 30, 31, when the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel standing in the way, um, he said, oh, verse 34, Balaam said unto the angel, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. Why are we reading, re- reading this, this story? The point that I want to make, the first one uh, for this seminar is this is that knowing God's will is useless if you don't want to do it. This is the prerequisite. The, before, before we even ask God, Lord, what is your will for my life? In the case where we don't know it first. You know, in Balaam's case, he knew already. Before we ask, what is it that you want me to do in my life? We have to make sure that we have resolved in our heart that whatever God reveals to us, we, have, we, we will follow. And so this is, the, this is the foundation, right? What good is it to know God's will if you're not going to follow it? In, verse, uh, in this story, in verse 19, if I could go back to verse 19 in your Bible, Balaam was treating this conversation with God as a knowledge issue. He says, wait here. I'm going to go back to God and find out more information from God if he would change his mind or not. In verse 34, when, when the angel of the Lord, when his eyes are open, he saw this angel of the Lord in his way, his repentance was a knowledge repentance. He said, I have sinned because I know not that you, you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. He was sorry that he didn't know the angel of the Lord was there. And he's saying, if it's, if it's not pleasing to you, I'll go back again. But here's what happens, right? Let's keep reading in verse 35. The angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, thou shalt speak. And what happened? He kept going. The, the, the words that this angel was speaking was the same words that, you know, that God was speaking before. If you're going to go, um, indicating that perhaps, perhaps there's an indication that God would permit him going, but you can't say the words that God didn't say to him, 
at the slightest indication, still, uh, this situation, that angel of the Lord was angry, the angel of the Lord was angry with Balaam, but he still went. And that reflects the condition of, condition of his heart. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus said this profound statement, part of the Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And these are not random words that Jesus said, right? The Beatitudes are profound truths of the kingdom of God. And he said this in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Implying that if your heart isn't pure, you're not going to see God, or your vision of God will, will be thwarted, or you will see something else than the true God for who He is. In this story, we, had, uh, we have Balaam, whose heart was decided to go against God's will. He was decided that he was going to go. So it really didn't matter what happened to him. He was already decided in his, in his heart that he was going to go against God's will. Um, on the opposite side, there was a donkey. That donkey was basically obeying his master. And that donkey, it just seems that that donkey was, has the purer heart than Balaam that he could see that angel of the Lord. You know? um, let's turn to the book of John. Continuing on this concept of being able to see God clearly and see what His will for our lives and having a clear understanding of what God wants. In John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. Here the Bible is saying Jesus, you know, the Word of God. He was life, He was the light of men. And He came, He shines in the darkness, but the darkness somehow could not understand the light for some reason. Why is that? Turn a couple pages further to chapter 3. John chapter 3, reading from verse 19. John 3.19, it says, And this is the condemnation. The light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, for they are wrought in God. Here, there's a, the Bible shed some light on, on why the darkness, why couldn't the darkness understand the light? It says that in verse, um, in verse 19, that the men love darkness more than light. It's not because, it's not because uh, intellectually they couldn't understand. Perhaps they could. It's not because their, their, their brains or their minds could not, uh, did not have the capacity of understanding concepts or, or logic and these things. But it's because their heart was, were evil. It's because their heart loved darkness more than light. You know that this is true doctrinally in understanding the Bible as well. The things that are hardest to understand are the things that you don't want to understand. 
in life, in time management, for example. Um, you know, we talk a lot about how to manage time if you're working or ministry, etc. Um, do you know that the things that are easiest to do are the things that you want to do? You always find time for things that you want to do. It's the desire of the heart determines, it determines everything. Uh, it determines your reality even. Men love darkness rather than light. Turn again in, uh, in the book of John, verse seven, uh, chapter 7. Verse 17. John chapter 7, verse 17. The Bible says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Again, if anyone will to do his will, do you want to do God's will? Amen. That is the question. In the chapter 9, and this is a story I, I read again and again, the concept of being able to see God. Because here's the thing, right? In Balaam's story, he knew clearly what God's will for him was. God spoke to him uh, in a very clear way. But there's a, a more dangerous thing, um, as we saw in these verses, is that when our hearts is impure it doesn't guarantee that we could actually discern what God's will was. If our heart is impure, if our heart has different, you know, mod- other motives than following God's will, what, what we get, the message that we get, may not necessarily be God's will, actually. So partial blindness is very dangerous, right? Because you, you may not know that you're blind, Let's turn to uh, John chapter 9. And here we encounter another story, this is in the New Testament now, of, of the intent of the heart coloring the picture of uh, what the people see. There are multiple people here whose hearts are either pure or impure, and they are seeing the same things, but they understand different things. John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is a story of Jesus healing a blind man. And so it's very fitting. Uh, There's a lot of spiritual uh, lessons in here. John chapter 9, starting in verse... um, Let's start in verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, this is encountering the blind man, and made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind men with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. So this is what happened. Jesus healed the blind men, and the blind men washed his face. Uh, Jesus put brown and clay and, and his saliva uh, on his eyes, and he, he washed and he saw. In verse 8, says, the neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he said, I am he. And therefore they said unto him, how are thine eyes open? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then he said they unto him, where is he? He said, I don't know. So this blind man 
um, the people around him were asking, how did you regain your sight? Um, what, are, what are the facts? What actually happened? The man told them what happened. Um, I met this man who put uh, clay upon my eyes, told me to wash in the pool of Siloam. I did exactly those, and I came back seeing. And then after this, they came to the Pharisees. They brought him to the Pharisees because it was the Sabbath day when this man was healed. In verse 15, it says, Again, the Pharisee asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, again, reciting the same facts. But, the, uh, but, the, but what happened was that the Pharisees didn't believe him, right? The Pharisees didn't believe him because it was the Sabbath day. How could Jesus or how could someone um, heal a blind man? Uh, how could this man be righteous? Because it was the Sabbath day. But at, uh, at the same time, this great miracle had happened. In verse 18, it says, The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they had asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? Now, this, the parents of the man weren't there, right? They weren't first-hand uh, witnesses of the account. The man himself experienced the miracle. But for some reason, they did not believe his testimony. And they asked other people who were related to him, but weren't there. His parents said unto them, this is verse 20, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but what means he now sees, we don't even know. Who hath opened his eyes, we don't know. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These were spake his parents, because they feared the Jews. Again, the motives of the hearts. For the Jews had already agreed that if any man confessed that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, Ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto them, Give God the praise, for we know that this man is a sinner. The parents, see, uh, isolate the examples of the parents again. They knew the facts. You know, the facts, the truth, that their son was blind, and now he could see. That means something great had happened, Right? But this greatness that had happened, they didn't want to acknowledge, or they could not understand it, or did not want to receive it. Why? The motive of the heart says, because they feared the Jews. Because they feared that they were going to be put out of the synagogue. Continuing in verse 25, and this is the, again, touching the, the motive of the heart uh, motif in the story. He answered them, and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he do to thee? Something that they had already asked before. They already know the facts, right? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear them. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? And here the blind man basically hit the nail on the head, right? The Pharisees had already decided in their hearts that there, there was no way that they were going to follow Jesus. There was no way that they were going to be Jesus' disciples. And so this miracle that's happened, that happened before their eyes of a blind man seeing, they could not understand it. Why? Because their hearts loved darkness rather than light. 
In contrast, the blind man who had this heart that was pure, whatever it is that Jesus was saying, whatever Jesus did, he freely accepted, had a pure heart. And that is seen in the subsequent verses in verse 35. So jump down to verse 35. The Bible says Jesus heard that they had cast him out. The Pharisees cast him out because they couldn't receive his testimony. They couldn't understand what happened to him, even though it was a simple fact. He said unto him, this is Jesus, Jesus finding the man, he found him out. He said unto him, do you believe on the Son of God? He said and answered, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And here you see someone who, whose heart is pure, whose heart is obedient. Whatever it is that Jesus was going to say to him at this time, he was going to follow it. Jesus said unto him, You have both seen him, and it is he that talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The goal of discovering God's will is to follow it. And we want to be at this stage of this man. Lord, whatever it is that you say, I'll believe and I'll follow. The pure heart and being able to see God clearly. Verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see might not see, and they which see might be made blind. We have to make sure that we have a pure heart so that we can know God's will and we can follow it. Because there is a a type of seeing that Jesus is calling blindness here, right? We could see and not really see. We could hear and not really hear. And how do we know? How do we know uh, what is the state of our heart? And we need to come to God with that. There is no other source. We need to know, we need to know what it is that we're seeing. Am I blind? That is one of, personally, that is one of my biggest questions, right? Am I blind, Lord? Am I seeing reality as they really are? So now we know, so now we know that we need to have a pure heart to follow God's will, right? What are we to do with that? Um, how do we know that our hearts uh, are pure or not? And how, what can we do? Um, I know that I need to purify my heart, but this task is impossible. Uh, what is some practical tip, something that we can take away so that we can get on this journey so that we can have a pure heart? Something practical that I would submit, uh, I'm sure there are other, other things probably that could be said on the subject, but if we want to have a pure heart that will follow God's will, um, we, could, we could do something to exercise this each day. And this is something that is um, important, something that we can do even today as we are here at GYC. What I would suggest is that every day as we go to devotions, before we open our Bible, before we, open, we even open the Word of God to find out the information or whatever it is that we're learning, Say this prayer to God, that Lord, whatever it is that you're going to show me in this text that I'm about to read, help me to obey them. Say this prayer before, before you open your Bible. And until you get to the stage where you say, when you are at peace and you know that you are fully surrendered and you will follow what it is that the Holy Spirit will convict your heart, don't even go to the Bible. Stay in your prayer. Don't, be, don't run away from that prayer. You know, wrestle with the Lord. Purify my heart. 
until you're at peace. And then open your Bible. I guarantee it'll transform your devotional life. And this will train our hearts. It will train our ears to listen to the, the Holy Spirit speaking when we are talking about big life decisions, right? We're talking about huge decisions at work, at school, uh, whatever it is that we think of when we say, God's will for my life, is it uh, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? Which ministry am I to be a part of in my life? This is something small that we can be faithful every day. And so when he will reveal to us, or when it is a time for us to find out God's will in the bigger, in a bigger sense, we can know what it means to listen to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about Acts and the revolution in Acts, right? In the early church, the early church were so impactful in the world. Why? It's because it's composed of obedient individuals. It's composed of people who will follow the bidding of the Holy Spirit and they would go. So let's turn to the book of Acts. This would be our last uh, piece of Bible verses that we'll go through. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. This, is actually, this first one is actually an example of someone who didn't go, uh, didn't do according to, to God's will. 5, chapter 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And we know the story. Ananias and Sapphira um, held back that, that they had pledged to the, to the disciples. They were disobedient. And this is one major example that the book of Acts gives to us um, of someone, of few people who didn't follow God's will. And their consequences are pretty severe, wouldn't you say? Um, we, I mean, I think God is gracious to us that we don't just drop dead when we do something like this right now. Um, let's turn, the next verse is 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 26. This is the story of Philip. Um, I'm, we're not going to go through each of the stories, but it just highlight the key verses, uh, the key verses that I want to uh, point out for this, for our purposes today. Verse 26, it says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goes down unto, from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is a desert. <clears throat> Philip was placed in a, uh, in, a, in a place that was thriving before this message came to him. It was thriving, a lot of people were getting converted. And what, what did the angel of the Lord tell Philip? to go to the desert. Who would evangelize in a desert? I mean, it's, there's no one there, right? Like, why? Why would, why would he be sent to the desert? But notice, like, the Bible doesn't say, Philip argued with the angel of the Lord, saying, Lord, there's nobody in the desert. What do you want me to do? Instead, what he, what he did was that he went. In verse 27, it said, he arose and went. This is an example of an obedient person. When the command came, he went. Turn to chapter 13, verses 2 to 4. Acts 
Acts chapter 13, 2 to 4. The Bible says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And you notice here that the direction of where Paul and Barnabas would go is directly from the Holy Ghost, from the Holy Spirit. It's a direct instruction from the Holy Spirit. Implying that Paul and Barnabas was already at the state where first they could listen to the Holy Spirit, they could uh, discern his voice and not other voices around them, and second, they were, their hearts were already decided that wherever the Holy Ghost was, was leading, wherever the Holy Spirit was leading, that they were going to go. And so this story took place. The last one is chapter 16, verse 6. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not, and they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. Again, whether you would go or whether you wouldn't go somewhere is determined by the Holy Spirit. You need to know, they needed to know, first, the voice of the Holy Spirit and obedience, right? The early church, the early church, the church in Acts were able to go to places that were untouched before. They basically spread the, the gospel. In, it was so widespread, right? Why? Because it was composed of individual people who could listen to the Holy Spirit. They were composed of individuals who would obey the Holy Spirit. This was the state of the church. Their hearts were pure, and they could hear, the God, hear God. They could hear Him speak. They could hear His uh, instruction, and they followed God's will perfectly. We've been talking about revolution, right? In the world, there are so many other types of revolution. I'm from Indonesia, and so if you speak to any Indonesian my age, um, we have... We experienced a revolution in about 97, 98. So it's my generation, basically. It was a revolution. Um, it was a political one. But what had happened, um, and what often happens in worldly revolutions, is that there's this mob mentality, right? A group of people started doing something. And somehow, the crowds built up. For this instances, crowds started to... Um, do a lot of destruction, basically. Uh, rob all the stores, did a lot of burning, there were rapes, uh, there were killing on the street, uh, there were a lot of mess, right? And no one really knew what started or why were they doing this. But there were a lot of people who, were, who became a part of it. It's that because, because in this type of movements, in these types of social phenomenon, there's this mob mentality that just because a lot of people are doing it, your adrenaline somehow picks up and you're doing the same thing too. These were regular people who were stealing. People who were otherwise would be fine. They wouldn't be doing anything. Uh, a lot of ethnic conflicts, this same phenomenon happened there too. Regular people 
we're doing extraordinary things in a bad way. Why? Just because a lot of people, a lot of people uh, go. There's a, there's a movement and there's a wave of excitement and people just get carried away. It is not so with the revolution that we're talking about. The biblical revolution doesn't, there's no such thing as the mob mentality in God's revolution. The revolution that we're talking about, the biblical one, has to happen individually. And that individual um, revolution happens in that heart commitment. Obedient heart. Individually, all of us here, we need to be consecrated to God to be part of this revolution. And this, by nature, is a revolution that is distinct from any other historical revolutions that has happened in the world. And as the quote uh, we read this morning in the service, right? In the end times, there will be something that is the world has never seen before, even the apostolic church. Um, and it needs to start at this level, in our individual heart, where we hear God, we know God, we know His voice, and we will follow Him no matter what. Our heart has to be completely pure, and this is the prerequisite of knowing God's will. Three things to remember. It's a simple, uh, simple concept from today's seminar, but um, went through a lot of passages, but these are the three key things to remember. Um, you've, you will go through a lot of seminars, and hopefully these are the things that you will take away from this. First is that knowing doesn't guarantee obedience. Your first concern, our first concern, shouldn't be the facts. You know, I need to get to know the answer from God what it is that he wants me to do. That is important, of course. Uh, but as I mentioned before, that is not the first thing. There's a prerequisite that goes before that. And that is number two. Purity in heart is the prerequisite. Because when our heart is impure, we may not be hearing accurately what God's will for our life is. And that is such a scary, scary thing. The third point to remember is that you can practice this purity of heart in our daily devotions. Pray that you will follow, that God will give you a heart of obedience, a humility, uh, that whatever it is that he's telling you in the text, a passage that you're reading in devotions, you will follow it. If God tells you to forgive someone, you will follow it. And this will be hard, right? There are days when this is just going to be hard. And I, I would encourage you to remain in prayer. Remain on your knees until your heart is changed. Uh, and this is the, uh, the struggle that we need to go through with God. I trust that all of us here, all of us are here, sorry about that, let me turn it off. Um, because we want to know God's will. And we desire, we desire to follow it. There's at least that desire in our hearts. And I think it would be, uh, it'd be wrong to end the session without a time of prayer that each in our own lives um, to ask God to reveal what it is that is causing impurities in my heart, whether it be sin, whether it be our own agenda, our own motives, what it is that is hindering me to listen to God's will right now. Um, some of it may be specific. I know for myself it's very applicable because I'm graduating, finding out what is the next thing. And usually this is a crucial time um, where, where we seek God's will for our lives. 
Um, so I'd like to give all, all of us a few minutes in prayer to reflect and to ask the Lord of this very question. Is my heart pure? Is my heart completely surrendered and obedient to God's will? And we'll spend a few minutes of individual prayer, and I'll close in prayer, and then we'll um, open up if there's any questions or linger around uh, and whatever the case may be. So why don't we take a few minutes for individual prayer now, and we'll close after that. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that on this Sabbath day, we can take time to ask you to have an obedient heart. Father, this is something that we cannot manufacture by ourselves. We need you to give us a heart of flesh instead of the heart of stone that we sometimes uh, just don't want to let go. So, Father, uh, I pray that this will be um, a channel of um, a way that you are speaking to us, Father, uh, in our lives. If we are seeking an answer from you uh, to clarify certain things, Father, to clarify the motives, why it is that we want to know your will. Do we, do we want to follow it or not? And I pray, Father, that the, the desire and that the reality and the experience of each and every one of us here in this room is that we will follow you wherever you go immediately, Father, uh, without delay. And I pray that that revival, that revolution, um, we will be a part of that because we can hear your voice and we can follow it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.